Turn tonight to the last book in the Old Testament. The book of Malachi. It's going to be the last last words that they'll ever hear God speak. This crowd will. And he will not speak again until the messenger, chapter number three, where we'll be the messenger, comes. I don't I don't know how many but there's probably a lot of folks out there many have never heard some have heard and somewhere they did not obey and they will never hear again probably a greater multitude that will never hear again than we could imagine. So if you find from reading the scriptures or sitting here a word from God, then it will be as the writer said, it will be it'll be like a cool drink of water. If you have news from that far country, that's what our Bible is about, but in and of itself, it's a closed book. I mean, you can come to great understanding of what it's saying in your intellect, but there's more to it in following Christ, and that's hearing in your heart. Would you would you bow with me in a minute? I'll, I want us to read together the first three verses of, of the third chapter. But let's pray first. Our Father We thank you for the mercy extended that we can gather again with hope that you'll be pleased to speak to us and open our hearts. Magnify Christ our Lord and grant our Father, that we might find from this verse direction in coming to Thee. Give help in preaching and in hearing for Thine own glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Third chapter of Malachi. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek, so there will always be a seeking prior to a visitation or manifestation of the Lord. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Folks, when, when our hearts are right before the Lord, he will not stay away from you. Often think about that in the Song of Solomon, where he says to her, Turn away thine eyes from looking at me, or thine eye, you've overcome me. And looking into her eyes, he, that being the inlet of the heart, he was overcome with that. So, when you delight in, when you seek, the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple. But now, that has consequences. Verse number two. But who may abide the day of his coming? None of us. Apart from sustaining grace. And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. That's the purpose of him coming. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. Why, Lord, would you visit with us? Why would you come? Why would you purge us and sit as you place your vessels? in a fire that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness I've never been around those and I don't know how it is done today that made pottery out of clay or vessels out of clay but after they got them formed and the clay was hardened, they would paint them with whatever colors they wanted. But that wasn't the that wasn't the end. After they beautified them with color, they would then put them in the oven 
and bake them again, baking in those colors that they would forever be there. That's our Lord with all of His people. So I want to speak to you, Lord Hepping, about an offering to the Lord. Now he says here in righteousness, and certainly it's got to be, but I'll just say an offering to the Lord. Won't ask you to turn, but I'll I'll do the best I can in trying to quote them. First Timothy one seventeen, now unto the King eternal immortal also meaning uncorruptible, invisible, and to the only wise God, be glory and honor now and forever. Or I think it says forever and ever. Then in Ephesians 3, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. That's going to be the one honored. There is one in glory upon whom every eye will be focused. And he will receive then, but it begins now in time where we offer unto Him an offering in righteousness. Come before, come in before His presence with singing, with thanksgiving, with praise and adoration. Now the Apostle Paul told Timothy in his preaching that he was to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. So the saints of God should be reproved. At times they should be rebuked. Other times they need to be exhorted, challenged. Other times encouraged, edified. And hopefully in these things, one, two, or all of them, hopefully have dealings with the Lord of glory. But overall, it's not about us. It's not about our gathering. It's about the honor and glory of the King that we're looking for His presence in our gatherings. And we should all fade into the distant background as He rises in our hearts and in our minds. There ought to be one dominant figure, one thing, and that is offering unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. All way I can do that is that I come through Him, and I offer through Him. 
most gatherings. God help us. That we move beyond this into a spiritual climate prior to and following. But most gatherings are little more than a social get-together. Where we find out about the latest benefits or the latest news, the latest events, I should say. What's in the news? What are the happenings going on in your world? And listen to those in my world. Now, it is given a religious uh, flavor. We add hymns, and I don't even know if you could use the word hymns in most places. Add singing and prayer. But in most places, and I am not speaking about any individual here, I don't believe I don't believe that takes place when you lead us in prayer. But in most places, the one doing the praying is speaking to the people. You can tell it. And if you're familiar with other places and you hear them call on someone, you can, you, you can, you already know what he's going to say. Let this not be. A gathering about us. There is above a church with undimmed eyes, a church that is not looking through that dark glass, it's been removed. And they're gazing on the central figure in glory. Angels about them. In that celestial city. Streets of gold. I don't believe it's gold as we think about it. Gates of pearls. They're not looking at any of that. They're focused upon the one thing that heaven is about. Now there is a church below. Hopefully we are making up a part of the church below. But unlike that one above, we have dimmed eyesight. And we look through a dark glass. We don't see clearly. And oft times we have our hearts drawn away by the things of time and sense. But the church on earth is becoming like the church in heaven whenever... I don't know when it will be. Father, I pray that they may be one as you and I are one. Whatever it will be, but I know this, it is taking place in time that the saints here 
though never will be sinless, are becoming like the saints above. Our eyesight is clearing up. Our affections are becoming more focused on what they should be. And so, we labor on to be as those above. Now to our verse here. The Lord will see it as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll purge, he'll purify every son of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer. Now you come to hear granted. You come to be challenged. But the greater part of you gathering is not what you receive, hopefully that will be what you receive from the Lord, but that which you render back to God, thanksgiving, praise, adoration. Psalm 4, 4, stand in awe. That is, tremble. Disquieted, troubled, afraid. That's the psalmist admonishing us. Stand trembling, disquieted, afraid, or troubled, and sin not. Get out of this careless, lifestyle and way of living and find out what it is to live somewhat in the awareness of I am before a living God. You are, but you need to come to know that. And when you come to find out the presence of God, there will be awe in your heart. Let not thine heart in be sinners, Proverbs 23, but be in the fear of the Lord. Look what they got. No, no, don't envy. Don't be jealous. Just be in the fear of the Lord all the day long. But for there to be all reverence, troubling within, fear, trembling, for that to be within, it must be brought about by a sense and realization of that which is without. Until you find out God, who He is, that of His being, 
that of his character. That's not going to be any reverence in you. No awe, no fear. And the one thing that we've lost, for we desperately need to get back, is a manifest presence of God. If he's to be feared, if I am to stand in his presence in awe, and the Bible is not written for us when we get to glory, it's written for us in time. These things will be in his immediate presence, but it's written for time. So if I have reverence, if I fear God rightly, if I know anything of all being in the presence of God, it's because I found out something about God through His revealed, manifested presence. You can tell a man he ought to fear God. Won't do any good. You know you ought to fear God, but you can't work it in your own heart. Scripture. They feared God and served their own idols. Or like the Jews in this Old Testament time, their, their fear of God was taught by the precept of man. Now you can live outside the realm of walking in the presence of God. You can live outside God. Just like Cain, he went out from the presence of the Lord. But he didn't go somewhere God wouldn't. In his mind, he became very active, raising a family, building a city, and activity got God out of his mind, so he was outside the presence of God. Since fearing God is that which a believer will and must do, your duty is to seek God for His presence, for only that will preach to you every time we gather about fearing God. But it can't be worked in your heart until you know something of God's presence. And sad commentary is that which has been in every generation, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, folks, there are some stately buildings with the name of church on them. I, I saw a picture of, 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 I think it's the Episcopal Church, where the funeral services for our former president was had. Beautiful. 
I mean, you're talking about outside, and I can imagine that the inside was even more adorned. But the structure, the architectural structure of that building, it was just beautiful. And there's a lot of them. Their design and their structure. And I'm sure that if we got up close or even walked inside, that our eyes would be dazzled to the point that it would stir our emotions. And we might even call that, boy, God met with me there. When it was nothing more than than your natural emotions raising you to a plane in which you don't live down here. We come to a simple building. Just be your own emotions and your own spirit. I've been in some, can I say, gorgeous, beautiful, structured assemblies. But there was nothing there. I'm sure that there were a lot of dignitaries there from our own country and from other countries around the world for his funeral. I would respect all of them for the office, the position they held. But I would not be awe-stricken in the presence of any of them. It wouldn't mean a thing to me. I just don't fear man. I respect men and women, but we're all sinners. And we're all on equal footing. And whatever heights that they may rise to in wealth, in dignity, in position, death equalizes all men. So why should I fear man? They are as I am. And the fear of man brings a snare. So we're talking about God. We're talking about an offering to Him. An offering in righteousness. We're talking about the presence of God. You being brought into such an awareness of that, that there is an awe or trembling or fear in your soul. There are places in the Scripture, throughout the Scripture, where the Lord takes you from the world in which we live into that realm above, that life above. One of them, Isaiah 6. When God removed that which was between Isaiah and and the Lord, and he looked, clearer eyesight, 
He saw the Lord sitting on the throne. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. And a train above him. Seraphim, six wings, two covered their face, two covered their feet, and with two they did fly. God let you go from this realm to that realm looking at what Isaiah saw. Jacob fleeing from a brother intent on murder sees a ladder coming down from heaven to the earth and angels ascending and descending and the Lord stood above the ladder and he said to Jacob I am the Lord God of Abraham and thy father Isaac and Jacob awaked and said, surely the Lord was in this place. And it said, he was so afraid. He ever ascended enough on the ladder to peer into the very face of God through Jesus Christ. Oh, how dreadful is that place, Jacob said. Dreadful fear and reverence. In the Revelation, John saw a door open in heaven, a voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Come up hither. And from that time that John goes up throughout the rest of the Revelation, God has opened the door for you to see more of the revelation of His Son. Christ throughout. It's not about the whatever you want to call them, the boogie bears, the dreadful thing. It's not about that that the natural eye can see. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know. If there's ever been an individual as brave as Daniel was. He feared not the king. He was faithful to deliver that that God taught and showed him, revealed to him. And he, had, he stood before the ruler of the world said, you're going to eat grass like an oxen. And you're going to grow fingernails and toenails like an eagle. News will fall on you and you'll be like a bee. He, he, he did not fear the consequence of him being honest with the king. And to his son or grandson he said, you are weighed in the balance and found wanting. And why would you deck a man in gold and give him all these things if you knew you were about to die and meet God? Why wouldn't you have his head off by pronouncing that doom and woe upon you? Yet in the chap in chapter ten of that book, when he saw that man, he said, There remained no strength in me, and my comeliness was turned into corruption. Bold, bold as a lion. 
yet before the living Christ, my commonness. All I knew about me was corruption. The strength and the boldness I had to stand before two kings. It's all gone. Joshua. There's a man over there. And Joshua approaches him and said, Are you for us or against us? And the man said, You missed it on both counts, accounts. I'm not for you. And I'm not against you. I'm head over you. And Joshua, bold enough to walk up to him, wanting to know where he stood. When he found out, he's talking to the living Lord. He fell on his face. Took his shoes off his feet. And would have remained there. Only by a revelation of the Lord of glory. Moses, fearing not the wrath of the king, endeared as seeing him who is invisible. And yet when he did see him there at that bush, he fell on his face, face in the dirt, removed his shoes. No fear of man, but fear of the living God. Folk, had you come within a hundred miles of the Lord to know anything about what I'm saying? Fear, reverence, awe, respect, honor, trembling, all at the same time, all these working in your heart, loving Him and yet fearing And have you ever brought to the Lord an offering in righteousness? If you're not careful, your praying will begin with you and it'll end with you. It'll get no higher or no farther out than the little world in which you live. And yet Christ taught you, when you pray, you begin with a realization of speaking to your Father, with a realization where He is in heaven, and with, with a petition for His glory and His will to be done in you and in others around you like it is done in heaven. Now in heaven it's done perfectly. But it also is done lovingly. You can do that. The will of God. You can offer unto the Lord thanksgiving and praise and adoration.
if you'll draw nigh God. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, and draw nigh to God. In considering the great salvation and the cost, beginning to get a little idea of the cost to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, tell me then that there will be a continual pursuit of things of this world. In understanding a little of the great salvation, you'll continue to chase after all these shiny little bubbles. They're going to pop shortly after you've got them. No, 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 a hundred times over, a heart that's been forgiven over time will be brought more and more into an awareness of who and what he or she is. And more I would say before God there will be this a morning because of the indwelling sin within you. There are avenues, crevices, dark canyons in your heart that you don't know about. Sin lurking, waiting for an opportunity to lay hold of you. So you mourn for indwelling sin. You mourn because none of us fear God as we ought, and you mourn because none of us, none of us love God as we ought. To whom much is forgiven, the same loveth much. You would think that Christians in this age haven't been forgiven much because there's just not a lot of love being expressed. Now, I, I believe that a sinner under conviction has but one interest, and that is forgiveness. And that comes from a very selfish motive and fear of impending doom. That's not wrong. I'm not saying that's, that's wrong. Christ preached about hell often. But it gets beyond that. And I believe it was, was John Owen that said, if we're not willing to go to hell for the glory of Christ, we've not progressed much in the school of sanctification. I can understand a little of the great apostle's expression. I would count myself accursed 
from Christ for my brethren. I know hell would be an awful place. But I honestly believe if it were possible that I'd take that to see loved ones saved. So I'm not saying in that initial initial work of God you're not thinking about God being glorified by your salvation or Christ being honored. You're thinking about, I'm going to end up in hell unless God forgives me. I don't believe that there was a sinner sitting in those pews when Jonathan Edwards preached that great sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. They sat there weeping. They, they sat there trembling. They sat there holding on to the pews, afraid that they soon would be dropped into hell. They weren't thinking about the glory of God and their salvation. This thing about the sovereign God sending them to hell. I doubt any of them were considering. No, no, they weren't considering what it cost the Lord Jesus. They were just aware of their condemnation and awaited the time when God would cast them out. For they found out under the anointed preaching that they were sinners. And hell was their just desert. Just waiting. But all that all of us that began with a selfish motive, Lord, save me from my sins. I don't want to go to hell. Over time and in the furnace, God purifies us and purges us. And now it's not about us going to hell. It's not about us receiving things from God, material things from God. It's about us offering unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Have you gotten there yet? You consider what you give to Him. He gave all for you. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things, and get to God.